Good morning, church family. For it is so good to see all of you here this morning, as today we will be looking at Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34, and we'll be wrapping up this rather significant section of Jesus' teachings from the Gospel of Mark, which, if you can remember, church, began all the way back at the beginning of chapter 4 when Jesus Christ shared with his disciples the parable of the sower, which, as Jesus Christ explained in verses 14 through 20, was a parable about, obviously, a sower who, verse 14, sowed the word, a.k.a. who shared the good news of the kingdom of God. And as Jesus Christ went on to explain in the parable, church, that when the word of God is sown along the path, if you will, or when someone with a hard heart hears the word, not only do they not understand it, but they also then don't respond to it in faith. And thus it's as if Satan then comes in verse 14, takes the word away. Whereas when the word of God is sown in the rocky ground church or shared with those with a shallow heart, although the word is initially received with joy by that individual, that as soon as any type of tribulation or persecution comes their way because of the word, well, they then, quite frankly, verse 17, fall away from the word. Similarly, when the word of God is sown among the thorns or shared with someone who possesses a divided heart, well, it's as if that person hears the word of God, but instead of living out the word and bearing gospel fruit, the word instead gets choked out of their life by the deceitfulness of riches and or by the desires of the world. However, when the word of God is sown in good soil, church, i.e. into the hearts of those who are receptive to the Word of God. Well, the Word of God then is received and believed and loved and cherished, and those individuals then who receive the Word of God, they then bear gospel fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold throughout the entirety of their lives. To which Jesus Christ then, he turns his attention to yet another parable in the text, this time a parable concerning a lamp and a basket, in which he makes the point in verse 21 that a lamp is not brought into a room to be put under a basket or under a bed, but instead to be put onto a stand. Therefore, God the Father then did not send his Son Jesus Christ into this world simply to have him or to have his eternal kingdom be concealed forever, but instead to have his identity and his kingdom be made known to all, and that the day will most surely come, church, when Jesus Christ will come again, and when every eye will see him, and when every knee will bow to him, and when every tongue will confess to him that he, Jesus, Christ is Lord. And thus, since that is how the story ends, church, we then as Christians, even in the here and now, must pay close attention to the Word of God, since God in His mercy will continue to measure to us or to give to us, Christian, verse 24, more and more understanding about His Word as we continue to embrace it. And yet Jesus' parables about the kingdom of God they do not end their church, because as we will see today, Jesus Christ will share yet another two parables concerning the kingdom of God, 
and specifically about how the kingdom of God will continue to grow. Which takes us to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. God is ultimately sovereign over his kingdom. Therefore, he will be the one who grows it, who expands it, and who will ultimately consummate it all according to his will. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church. God is ultimately sovereign over his kingdom. Therefore, he will be the one who grows it, who expands it, and who will ultimately consummate it all according to his will. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 4, where we will be looking specifically at verses 26 through 34. And if you are joining us this morning and do not have a Bible with you, then please feel free to grab and to keep one of our church Bibles, which are located in the chairs in front of you. However, if you do take one, the only thing we ask in return is that you read it, starting today, by turning to page 839, and by joining us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in Mark chapter 4 this morning, and we'll be looking specifically at verses 26 through 34, where the author of the Gospel of Mark, John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples. He explained everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray this morning that you give us ears to hear the beauty of your word, Lord. Open our eyes this morning, open our ears, soften our hearts to receive and to understand exactly what you have put in front of us this morning. For this is your word the Word of God given to the people of God, and we pray that we be transformed this morning by this Word. Father, we will see the glories of your kingdom presented this morning in your Word. And Father, give us a heart this morning to be in all of your glory and your sovereignty, but give us also a heart this morning for those who we know and who we love and who we know at this stage are not part of your kingdom. 
Bring to light those individuals in our minds, we pray. And Father, let us be motivated by your text this morning to throw gospel seed in their direction as we leave here today, tomorrow, and until you come again. Father, I pray that you help me this morning to communicate your word clearly and boldly and accurately. Let me be confident, Lord, this morning, not in my own abilities, for I know they are little, but in you, Father, who has given us a perfect and infallible and inerrant word that never returns void. We pray that this, your word goes forth this morning, Father, and that this sermon and this entire service today, that it be a glorifying sacrifice to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, God alone is the one who grows his kingdom and who will ultimately consummate his kingdom, not that of man. God alone is the one who grows his kingdom and who will ultimately consummate his kingdom, not that of man. Verses 26 through 29, which reads, And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So Jesus Christ opens here in verse 26, again by focusing on the theme of the kingdom of God, or this concept, church, as we've mentioned previously, of the reign of God, which is not just, church, the future or the final consummated kingdom of God, like when Jesus Christ returns, although that is certainly part of it, But it is also, church, the reign of God here on earth, even in the here and now, as people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he begins to reign and rule over their lives and hearts as their Savior and Lord. So with that understanding in mind here, church, Jesus Christ goes on to say in verse 26 that the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. So similar to the parable of the sower in verses 1 through 20, we are again seeing here, church, an image of a person taking some seed and scattering it or throwing it onto the ground. However, the focus of this parable is not specifically on the person who is throwing the seed, nor is it, church, on the types of soil in which the seed is being thrown onto But instead, the focus of this parable seems to be on the seed, a.k.a. on the Word of God. And I say that because after scattering the seed in this parable, the sower here, as we see in verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day. And that the sower here, he scatters the seed and then quite simply goes about his day and eventually then goes to sleep and gets up again. And yet all while doing so, as we go on to see the seed that the man initially scattered, it sprouts and it grows and the earth produces by itself. Verse 27 and 28. 
and that the man who scattered the seed originally, church, he was not the one who put roots onto the seed, nor was he the one who made food or nutrients for the seed, nor was he the one who pulled the little sprout out of the seed in order to make it grow, but instead the seed, separately and outside of and independently of the man, it was able to grow all by itself and completely on its own. So much so that the man who scattered the seed, as we see in verse 27, he doesn't even know how this growth happened. He just sees that somehow and some way that it happened. To which you might be sitting there this morning, Christian, thinking, okay, so we have this parable here about a man who scattered some seed and who sleeps and rises night and day, And then somehow that seed, it sprouts and it grows all by itself. And the man who originally scattered the seed, he has no idea how it even happened. And that's what exactly is Jesus getting at here. And what Jesus Christ is getting at here, church, is that the growth or the advancement of the kingdom of God hinges only on the sovereignty of God and not on the understanding or the abilities or on the skills of man, since it is God and God alone, church, who has the power and the ability and the authority to predestine man, to call man, to regenerate man, to justify man, to adopt man, and to ultimately bring redeemed man into his kingdom and not that of man. And furthermore, since it is God alone, church, with the power and the ability and the authority to grow his kingdom whenever, wherever, and however he mysteriously pleases, we can also be sure then, church, that there will also come a day of harvest when indeed, verse 29, the grain is ripe and he will put in the sickle. Now what Mark is likely referring to here is the day of judgment, since the sickle and the harvest here, church, are symbolized that way in the Old Testament in Joel chapter 3. The sickle is to be swung when the harvest is ripe, and also in the New Testament in Revelation chapter 14, where the sickle is to be swung because the time has come to harvest. However, the primary concern of the parable here, church, or the primary concern of the harvest here, as James Brooks explains, it doesn't seem to be on the goats, if you will, from Matthew chapter 25, church, or on the weeds, if you will, from Matthew chapter 13, or on the unregenerate, the unsaved, the unredeemed, or that of the wicked, but instead... It seems to be on that of the sheep, or on that of the wheat, or on that of the righteous. And thus, verse 29 then acts almost as this beautiful word of assurance, and of promise, and of confidence from Jesus Christ to his twelve, and to his disciples, and to really all Christians throughout all generations, that one day the fullness of the kingdom of God will come and be consummated and be made complete, and that Jesus Christ will be faithful to gather his entire harvest and to give salvation to all of the elect. 
And thus, because of that, church, let us walk away from this parable this morning, remembering that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and that God is ultimately sovereign, church, in bringing forth his kingdom day by day, week by week, year by year, people group by people group, language by language, village by village, all until the day that each and every one of his children whom he chose in love before the foundation of the world comes to saving faith in him, whereby on that harvest day church, as Mark Strauss writes, he will deliver the righteous, judge the wicked, and right every wrong. Therefore, be at peace, Christian, concerning the sovereign and the mysterious work of your God as he continues to grow his eternal kingdom, since it is a kingdom church that will one day be made complete and the gates of hell will never be able to stop it. Which brings us to point number two. For although the kingdom of God started out small, like that of a tiny mustard seed, it will most assuredly not remain small forever. For although the kingdom of God started out small, Like that of a tiny mustard seed, it will most assuredly not remain small forever. Verses 30 through 34. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. So again, right after Jesus Christ, gets done sharing with his disciples that God is ultimately the one sovereign in bringing forth his kingdom, and that although man cannot always see or perceive or understand how God is bringing forth his kingdom, what man can know is that the consummation of that kingdom will most assuredly come. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ now turns his attention to yet another parable here, A parable, again, about the kingdom of God. However, the focus of this parable, church, is on how great and how vast the kingdom of God is going to become, despite its rather modest and minuscule beginnings. For as Jesus Christ says in verses 30 and 31, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. So Jesus Christ starts out here by saying that the kingdom of God is like that of a grain of mustard seed. Now, if you know anything about a mustard seed church, you know that the mustard seed is tiny, like really tiny, like one millimeter in length type tiny. To put that tininess into perspective, if you will, A little ant that we would see walking around here is about three millimeters in length, whereas a penny church would be just over 19 millimeters in diameter. 
Therefore, we are talking about a really little seed here, church, that Jesus Christ is comparing the kingdom of God to. So much so that Jesus Christ goes on to say that the mustard seed, verse 31, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Now, I want to pause here for a second, church, because that line right there, that the mustard seed is the smallest of the seeds on earth, that line has been a point of contention for a lot of non-Christians and evolutionists and secularists and atheists and what have you, because they love to point out here and say, aha, you see, Christian Jesus Christ was wrong here because the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed on the earth, but instead, as we all now know, O oh foolish Christian, it's actually an Anecticylus Amitian seed, for they are the smallest seeds on the earth, measuring in at a minuscule 0.05 millimeters in length. An Anecticylus Amitian being a kind of orchid church. Nevertheless, because of that, the non-Christian, they then become quick to say, well, then that just proves that Jesus Christ wasn't really all-knowing, and that the Bible then isn't really infallible, and that your Christian religion then isn't really based strictly on the truth, and thus your whole worldview then, oh foolish Christian, quite honestly, simply cannot be trusted or taken seriously at this time. However, when Jesus Christ here says to his disciples in verse 31 that the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, he's most certainly not giving to them some kind of science lesson here. For I remember hearing it explained to me this way when I was in seminary. For can you just imagine Jesus Christ here saying to his disciples that the kingdom of God is like an Anecticylus Amitian seed, which is quite literally the smallest seed on the earth. I mean, Jesus' disciples then would have looked at him like, what are you, nuts, man? Like, what on earth are you talking about? Therefore, Jesus Christ is simply giving to his disciples a point of reference here that they would have actually known of so that they could ultimately understand the point that Jesus Christ is trying to make. That point being that although the kingdom of God starts out small, just like a tiny little mustard seed, when sown church, it grows and becomes larger, verse 22, than all the garden plants. And again, just as a reference point here, the mustard seed that started out as just one millimeter in length, when planted, it can grow church to be a plant some 20 feet in size. And thus Jesus' point here about likening the mustard seed to the kingdom of God is that although the kingdom of God had its humble beginnings with a carpenter by the name of Jesus who came from a despised town called Nazareth and who went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and calling to himself a ragtag bunch of fishermen and tax collectors and zealots and doubters that the kingdom of God then would not remain small forever, but instead just like that little mustard seed church, it would just keep growing and growing and growing from Jerusalem to Judea Judea to Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. For the kingdom of God, church, as David Burgess puts it, is like the cool and clear waters of Lake Itasca in Minnesota, 
where the Mississippi River is only but a stream, about 10 feet wide and 2 feet deep. Whereas by the time it reaches the Gulf of Mexico, it has flowed nearly 4,000 miles, and at some points is many miles wide and reaches depths of about 200 feet. Similarly, church, so too will the kingdom of God, when it reaches the final day of judgment, will have grown tremendously, just like the river here, and just like the mustard seed, which grows so much, church, as we see in verse 32, that even the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, although there are some unique interpretations of what these birds in verse 32 symbolize, I tend to fall in line with the scholarship that believes that the birds of the air here depict all the people of the world. Yes, even that of the Gentiles. Meaning then, church, that the kingdom of God is not just for the Jews, but instead that people groups from every tongue, from every tribe, and from every nation, church, will become members of the kingdom of God and dwell in the kingdom of God and be able to find their eternal rest in the kingdom of God. So yeah, church, although the kingdom of God started off small and tiny and in the eyes of the world insignificant, whereas some Nazarene named Jesus came into this world and was despised by this world and hated by this world and was ultimately killed by this world, that by no means, church, put an end to the advancement or the growth of the eternal kingdom of God. And I say that because three days after Jesus' death on that cross at Calvary, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and thus his message then, church, the good news of the kingdom of God, well, it then just absolutely took off throughout the world, where as Jesus' disciples then began making disciples, and their disciples then began making disciples, and even their disciples then began making disciples to the point that some 2,000 years later, just like that little mustard seed church, the kingdom of God just keeps growing and growing and growing because unlike the kingdom of man, the kingdom of God doesn't depend on man in order to grow, but instead the kingdom of God grows sovereignly only according to the will of God, which means that the kingdom of God then will just continue to keep growing and growing and growing all until the day as the prophet Habakkuk writes, when the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, just as vast as the waters cover the sea. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, I want to begin with the non-Christian who was here first. A non-Christian, my point to you this morning, quite simply, is that at the end of the age and on that last day, when everyone will be judged, make no mistake about it, for it will most definitely not be your glory, non-Christian, that will fill the earth. Nor will it be the glory of your favorite politicians that fills the earth, nor will it be the glory of whatever tribes you adhere to or whatever commentators you listen to or whatever worldly idols you submit to, but instead, in the end, only the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and his eternal kingdom, non-Christian, will cover the ends of the earth as vast as the waters cover the sea. And thus, because of that, non-Christian, 
You have two options sitting before you this morning. For you can reject the king of the kingdom of God, and like the weeds in Matthew chapter 13, you can be gathered together with all the other weeds and be eternally burned and judged and condemned. Or, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, you can receive the king of the kingdom of God, and like the wheat in Matthew chapter 13, you can be gathered together with all the other wheat and be part of the kingdom of God forever. However, non-Christian, in order to truly receive the king of the kingdom of God, you must put your faith in his message. That message being that the king... Jesus Christ as truly God and as truly man that he came into this world, non-Christian, in order to save sinners like you and like me from their very sins. And he did that, non-Christian, by initially living for them a life here on earth that was perfect and righteous and faithful and good, meaning that although Jesus Christ was tempted by sin here on earth, just like you and I, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he never sinned, but instead completely and perfectly fulfilled the law of God in its entirety for the children of God. However, Jesus Christ didn't just come into this world to fulfill the law of God for the children of God. For he also came into this world, non-Christian, to die for the children of God and to pay the price for their very sins. And he did that, non-Christian, by giving up his life on a cross at Calvary and by dying in the place of the unrighteous. However, non-Christian, not only did Jesus Christ have the authority to lay down his life for sinners and to perfectly pay the price for their sins, but he also then, non-Christian, as the sinless Son of God, had the authority to absolutely take his life right back up again, which is exactly what Jesus Christ did. For three days later, Jesus Christ, he did not stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, and he displayed to the world that he had defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and that he now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. And thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin and died for your sin and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back to God forever. Therefore, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you become part of the kingdom of God forever by repenting of your sins and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ will be faithful then, non-Christian, to forgive you of all of your sins and to give you the gift of eternal life. And as for the Christian who was here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, as we wrap up today and this section of parables in Mark chapter 4, I want you to leave here this morning with peace, specifically concerning your evangelistic efforts. 
because it is easy, church, to leave this section of parables about the kingdom of God and about how people become part of the kingdom of God and about the growth of the kingdom of God and about the certainty of the coming of the kingdom of God and to then quite quickly begin to think about those who you love who aren't part of the kingdom of God. And to honestly then begin to get frustrated and upset and worn down and said that the gospel seed that you have shared with those who you love, that as far as you can tell, has quite simply not taken root. And thus for those who are here this morning, who are still longing for your friends, for your family members or co-workers or teammates or schoolmates or roommates or what have you to come to faith in Jesus Christ and become part of his kingdom forever, lovingly then, brother Christian, sister Christian, let me encourage you this morning, do not lose heart. For as the late John Henry Byrne once wrote, there once was a man who tore down a building that had stood for years in his backyard. And after tearing this building down, he then smoothed over the ground in which the building once stood. And then as the warm spring rains began to fall upon the ground, and as the sunshine then began to flood the ground, suit a multitude of little flowers then, unlike any growing in the entire neighborhood, began to spring up all around it. For you see, where the old building had stood, there was at one time a garden. And the seeds of that garden had laid in that soil without moisture or light or any kind of warmth for many, many years. And yet as soon as the sunshine and the rain touched the seeds, they at once began to spring up and come to life. And thus so too sometimes the seeds of truth can lie for a long time in the human heart because the light and the warmth of the Holy Spirit is simply rejected and shut out because of sin and unbelief. And yet even after a long time, the heart can still be softened to the point that the seeds of the gospel can still take root and come to life. Therefore, although the instructions and the gospel seeds of a pious mother could lie in her child, fruitless from childhood into adulthood, there could still come a day when those seeds become the seeds that spring to life and bring salvation to their soul. Therefore, brother Christian, sister Christian, let me encourage you this morning to remain patient with God as you pray for the salvation of your loved ones and continue to scatter gospel seed all around them because our God, church, he is not done growing his kingdom. And I say that because each and every day, Christian, new people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and are receiving Jesus Christ and are being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ because gospel seed was shared with them. And thus, if you have someone in your mind this morning, Christian, someone who you love and who you desperately want to have saving faith in Jesus Christ and to become part of his kingdom forever, then quite simply, 
Christian, do what you have been called to do, that being to share the gospel with them, because they will never be able to call on the name of the Lord, Christian, if they don't believe in him, and they will never be able to believe in him, Christian, if they have never heard of him, and they will most definitely never hear of him, Christian, if no one ever shares with them the gospel, and thus your charge as you leave here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, is to go and share the gospel with them and to then be patient with that seed and prayerful about that seed and to be persistent to continue to scatter more and more of that gospel seed all around them, knowing full well that God is still growing his kingdom just as he desires, wherever he desires, however he desires, and as much as he desires, all for the good of his people and for his eternal glory. Which means then, Christian, you can put your mind at ease concerning who is part of the kingdom of God and who is not. Since it is our God who is ultimately sovereign over the growth of his kingdom and over the consummation of his kingdom and not that of man. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body leave here today trusting in the sovereignty of our God to perfectly bring about his eternal kingdom. For let us not grow frustrated, Father, when we don't see certain gospel seed growing as quickly as we would like, but instead help us to remain patient that you, God, will do exactly what you have said you would do, that being to bring about a harvest made up of people groups from every tongue, every tribe, and every nation who will one day come before the throne of glory confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know, Father, that the kingdom of God is expanding, not shrinking, not decreasing, not stuck in neutral, but instead it's spreading, it's growing, it's advancing, and will one day fully come. Therefore, although at times we cannot understand how or where it is growing, let us remember, God, that it is. And that it will continue to grow until the day our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes again and the glory of our eternal God will cover the earth as vast as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a hopeful two parables you have given us. The fact that You, God, are sovereign over growing your kingdom. We don't need to understand how you're doing it. We don't need to add any special words to the gospel. We don't need to water it down. We don't need to do anything special to it. We just need to sow it, to share it, and allow you to take care of the rest. And you will grow it. Father, you will bring about a ripe and bountiful and beautiful harvest from that seed for the good of your people and for your glory. And it will keep growing and growing and growing, Father, if there is any evidence that what we believe is true. Let it be seen in the text this morning that this gospel message has survived over 2,000 years Disciples turning disciples into disciples over and over and over again. Father, your word will not return void. Thus, let us be faithful 
in doing what we have been called to do, to scatter gospel seed, to share your message, to be light and salt in this dark world, and to allow you to take care of the rest. We're going to go to sleep, wake up the next morning, turn around and seek. How did God ever do that? It is because you are sovereign over the seed, sovereign over your kingdom that you have promised to bring into full glory and a new heavens and a new earth one day. Father, let us cling to that, be faithful what we can control, and to be, place our faith completely in what we can. We know that you are good, Father. We know that you are sovereign and that you will bring for, forth a perfect harvest. Father, to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.